Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Silman, and welcome to The Love Code. And thanks for joining me. I just so appreciate everybody tuning in and being a part of this conversation. The Love Code is really all about opening our hearts, expanding our consciousness, tapping into the power that we have within us to heal and transform our lives. And I feel that that is so important these days, that we are on a journey of expansion, of transformation, and to be encouraged along that way and reminded that who we are is just so important these days. And if you are listening for the very first time, I want to welcome you and also invite you to go to my Facebook page, which is What Women Must Know. And What Women Must Know is my other program on Progressive Radio Network, if you're wondering why, The Love Code, it has a Facebook page called What Women Must Know, but that is because every Thursday at 4 p.m. I have another weekly show that is called What Women Must Know. So if you like me over there, you'll get all the archive shows from both of my podcasts. And the other option is to go to my website, which is drcherylselman.com, and opt in there because I send all those archive shows out to you every week, along with lots of other great information and education. So I hope you'll be joining my community and be a part of this journey of greater empowerment through knowledge. And we're going to have a, a very uh, interesting conversation today. I have as my guest Ruth Miller, Dr. Ruth Miller, and uh, we're going to be talking about how to shake off negativity when it's all around us, a really useful topic these days, and a little bit about Dr. Ruth Miller. She has degrees in anthropology, cybernetics, and teacher studies, and has worked as a futurist while teaching, writing, and speaking about the nature of society and culture. She's the author of numerous books, including Making the World Go Away, and her latest book is Spiritual Success and Uncommon Prayer, which reveals how we can lift ourselves out of the world's distress to create a new kind of life. Dr. Ruth Miller is author of the new book, Spiritual Sex and and Uncommon Prayer, and um, we're going to be talking about success and and uncommon prayer and how to lift ourselves out of the world's dramas and how to create a new life. So this is such a wonderful conversation, and it, as I said earlier, it's so timely. We need all the support we can get and reminders along the way to use the time that we are in for upliftment and to navigate through the world of negativity. <laughs> So it's my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Ruth Miller to the show. So Ruth, hello and welcome. Hi there. What a treat to be here. Thank you so much. Well, I am looking forward to our conversation and to, to having you on the show because you're doing such wonderful work out there in the world. And it's great to have you and to share your wisdom and insights and guidance during not only this show, but during this time that we're in. It's a, it's an interesting time, isn't it, Ruth? <laughs> Indeed it is. Indeed it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the fact of the matter is we have never been in this moment in the history of certainly our country, maybe the world even, ever before, not in any living memory uh, in our culture. So, 
it's a challenging time, and it's a time that I believe really um, requires all of us to dig deep into our own inner resilience and inner resources to find the guiding light and to, uh, as you know, we're talking about today, to shake off the negativity that is so much around us. So, um, so before we begin and dive into this topic, I'd like to know a little bit more about your journey, Ruth, and how did you get to take on this mission and this spiritual process that you're sharing with uh, with the world right now? Well, thank you so much. It, it's, um, you know, everybody's journey is unique, right? Mine started in, actually in childhood, I think, because I grew up on a university campus during the school year and then on a farm during the summers. And my mother worked for the Department of Defense and my grandmother had worked for Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, and so, hmm. and, and they were, you know, so all these people and all these influences provided a, a uh, very fertile field for exploring, you know, where, where are the commonalities? Where are the points of agreement? You know, where are, Yes, there is a lot of distinctions, but something else is going on here, right? And that's from my earliest memories. So then I I was raised in a very academic environment, so of course college and of course graduate school, and the belief was that through the sciences I would get all the answers that I wanted. My grandmother was very spiritual and led me into an awareness of all kinds of teachings. She, having lived in India, she was familiar with the, the Hindu concept that all paths lead to the same peak. And uh, so she was com- comfortable in a variety of spiritual traditions, although she was dean of a Methodist college and often spoke in Methodist churches. And so that was there. And the the world around me was continually demonstrating uh, that the sciences looked like the place where the answers would be, but every the further I got into them, the less the, the answers were. I think I stayed in anthropology as an undergrad after having gotten you know research grants in high school and early college, uh, but I, I developed a degree in anthropology because it gave me the broadest view. I could look at the spirituality and the science. I could look at the art and the chemistry. I could look at the psychology and the biology and the evolutionary processes. But then I got out of college and I married a guy in the Navy, and that was an amazing experience. And we got concerned about the environment. So what isn't on that list is I also picked up a degree in environmental studies and in the process of learning to do impact assessment, I saw that we have a lot of problems, but we had no idea why or how. And in my studies in anthropology, couldn't help me with that either. And then I discovered this field of cybernetics and the idea of systems dynamics and behaviors and began to find solutions. So I ended up working at Stanford Research Institute with uh, Willis Harmon right before he went on to become the director at uh, the Institute of Noetic Sciences. And we were doing work, Oliver Markley, Dwayne Elgin, Willis Harmon, and and three or four others, and myself, were all doing work on the intuitive aspects and the inner story and image that uh, we had and how all of that was leading to these futures that we were 
describing and forecasting and and talking about the impacts of in our professional work. Then someone called me and said, hey, I'll be glad to give you a fellowship if you'll get a doctorate. (laughs) So I took all of that, the consciousness and the future studies and the cultural studies and the psychological studies and the environmental studies and uh, went off and got a doctorate in that hoping that I had found the answers in some way, but I kept coming back to the intuitive, the inner world. There's something coming from the inside that is driving us. And after about a total of 20 years from the time I finished my master's degree to the time I just said, this isn't working, um, I ended up in the ministry because it was the only place I could talk about the inner world. And so I have just recently completed... Um, a 20-year career in the ministry in New Thought, which is the world of Louise Hay and Ernest Holmes and Emmett Fox, and um, and I'm a teacher of Emma Curtis Hopkins and her work. And that was where I began to realize there are tools that we have in New Thought that can get bridged back into the world of futuring. And so when I you know, officially retired as, as a senior pastor, um, I now just do guest speaking. But um, what I did is I started writing on this integration. So making the world go away is my saying we can bring the tools of the spiritual metaphysical world, what's talked about in The Secret, for example, and we can apply those to our understanding of what's going on in the world around us The book Spiritual Success actually came out as a second edition of a book I had done as a minister, and it's my explanation of what a daily practice is that can keep us elevated regardless of what's going on. And then the book Uncommon Prayer is saying, hey, we got taught wrong, and if you really want to have effective prayer, you need to do it in an entirely different way. So those are three of the 20-odd books uh, that I've done. Uh, seven of them were for the Library of Hidden Knowledge, which was explanatory texts behind the, the principles of the secret. I did that for uh, Beyond Words, Atria. So that's kind of a sense of what's going on. Then there's my own personal <laughs> Wow. Stuff. What an interesting <laughs> journey. I have to ask you, I have to ask you about your grandmother and her time working for mm-hmm. with Mahatma Gandhi. Can, can you, mm-hmm. what, what did she tell you? What, what, you know, what was her <laughs> experience and, and that must yeah. have had a huge impact on her and you. And, and what a blessing Absolutely. to have a grandmother who's been there and had that experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I spent pretty much a weekend every month with her until I was 12, well, most of my life. Then there was a few months where she, she actually lived with us, but about a weekend a month with her. And we would explore all kinds of things. So she had... Um, she was the daughter of a Methodist mission minister in uh, who was also a geology professor, and that's a wonderful story in itself. But she went off to India as a Methodist missionary, and she got there and discovered what many young people do, and that is that the world, the way people live there look like poverty to middle-class Americans, but it's actually quite an effective system and more than adequate for most of their needs, Right. And she learned a lot in that process, but she could see where the problems were. And she was, uh, officially, she was teaching women how to create um, preschools and daycare centers. She had a 
a normal degree in education from Princeton and, and went over there to do that. But, of course, as soon as she began to work with the, the women, especially the moms, um, some of Gandhi's um, principles began to come up as possible solutions. There were silly little things. Many, many women in India at that time were looking at, you know, he was he he got there shortly after she did, actually. He got back from South Africa shortly after she got to India. And... Um, you know, we're looking at the, the, the early 20s, and a, a woman would have a single sari, one sari, one thing to wear all day, every day, and she didn't have anything to wear to wash it. So one of Gandhi's things was, how can we help every woman have their own second sari? Um, and another one was, you know, creating these daycare centers. And there were two or three other things that, you know, she was already sort of involved in that he wanted to see, and so they started to work on some of that. And um, then he was off doing what he was doing, and she was off doing what she was doing. Then she got married, and her husband was working up in sight of Mount Everest, almost in Nepal, up in the mountains up there, not far from where the Dalai Lama is today. And so they were living up there, and she began to be a teacher of Gandhi's ideas up in that neighborhood. And then her husband decided that they needed to come back to the States. And I think it broke my grandmother's heart, you know, based on the story she has told and and what their life was like when they came back. And they stayed on a farm, not the farm I grew up on, but almost, <laughs> the one I spent my summers on. It was that same family farm. And um, she, they ended up running a, uh, a settlement house during the Depression, and grandmother became one of Gandhi's spokespeople in the U.S. So she would put on her red sari, and she would introduce people to the beauty of the Indian culture and the importance of everyone in India having the same rights and freedoms we have here. And so every year, um, as I was growing up, there would be an event and we would eat the curries that she had learned to make on the floor of a woman's house in India and the pulau that she had learned to make and she adjusted all the recipes for stoves. We would make chapatis and puris, which are the little breads, and uh, it was the big deal. We would put on saris and, and, you know, teach people about India when I was growing up. Wow, how amazing. What a, what a unique experience. And I really uh, resonate with that because I actually lived two years in India myself. Mark. And, um, yeah, and, and uh, actually I lived on a, in a, com- in a spiritual community, so... Uh, mm-hmm. I had no running water. I had no electricity. I lived in a mud hut. <laughs> and that was, and ah, was so you know what it's places like. Places I ever yeah. lived in. I know what it's like, and um, you know, I, I and it's a, it was a wonderful experience. And just recently, just uh, just last week or so, I was able to um, join in to this virtual uh, live stream of a major. Uh, festival in South India where they walk around a, a sacred mountain and go into a sacred temple. And so it was the experience of being right there with this person who had his little iPhone and was on 
this devotional pilgrimage around the mountain and get to see the people and get to see the dancing. And, you know, it was, it was an amazing moment for me because I lived in Tamil Nadu and this was in Tamil Nadu. And just to see the people, oh, my colors, the stories and the dancing, it was, uh, you know, it just brought me right back to that time when I lived in South Absolutely. India. So, so yeah, very special. And I'm actually very working on, on a, some, some, I'm doing some study of the Tamil right now, uh, their their uh, city yoga tradition, which is amazing, uh, the Siddhakriya yoga tradition in, in Tamil. And, you know, their, their understanding and, and stories that go back, you know, well before anything, any civilization in Sumeria. So that's all very exciting. Well, it's so interesting you say that because this festival was, part of honoring the immortal guru who started or continued that Kriya uh, city yoga tradition. You're talking about and, Mahababaji or before yeah. that? Well, no, it was, it was Babaji and then who, and then the teacher is Murugan, the this immortal master. I mean, the stories are so phenomenal about this and more. I, I, we're getting a little off track, but I just have to share this. We are. Yeah. We are. They are um, amazing. But, but, but it is, you know, I mean, this one teacher had reached a state, a state of enlightenment and immortality and supposedly in that tradition uh, lived 12,000 years and seeded so much of the spiritual wisdom around the world. But who knows? But what I do know is that... Uh, the uh, true history of humanity and the world and our deep, deep um, place of of a power is is held in those traditions. And they may seem like fairy tales to us in the West, but what do we know? Why not? You know, well, anything is right. possible. And, and it is in our history and through our archaeology and anthropology that we're taught is nothing to do with the real story of who we are and where we came from and who seated us and the whole thing. And I've had some amazing guests on that explored this, including Michael Cremo, which you may have heard of. Right sure. But anyway, oh, yeah, I, I, I find this fascinating. I find it fascinating. It is fascinating. So anyway. I, Right? I wrote a book called, yes, it absolutely is fascinating. I wrote a book called Mary's Power because I could see just, you know, partly based on Maria Gumbuta's work, but that there was no relationship between what we understood to have been happening during the time of what we call the Old and the New Testament and what must have been happening. And so I talk about that. I talk about um, how this culture that we live in, this culture of control and acquisition emerged and how the women's role has been hidden in the back all along. So maybe you and I need to talk about that in a different time. But today, one of the things that my grandmother you know, would, was very, very clear about was that when we fight something, we are um, making more of it. And she got that from Gandhi and from other places. And she, she felt that it was very clearly one of Jesus' teachings, that it was the essence of turn the other cheek. It was like, don't give any energy to something that does not work for you. Focus instead on what does. And if you look at what Gandhi encouraged in the way of um, 
you know, what he called satyagraha. Um, it was always, you know, move in the direction of what we, you know, choose rather than fight the institutions that are. And that has been a profound, profound teaching for me all my life. You know, it makes so much sense to me because uh, as a naturopathic doctor, what I know is that when we focus on the negativity of what's not happening or what we see as, you know, mis, uh, misdirection or mistruth or misbehavior, misaction, mm-hmm. if we focus on that, we actually have a direct physiological response in our body that is activating the stress response, shutting down the body's ability to heal, rejuvenate, and regenerate. So if nothing else, if you want to look after yourself, you cannot luxuriate in negativity. Right on. <laughs> right on. But, you know, and right? So, uh, yeah, so then the question becomes, well, what do I do now instead, right? And so a huge yeah. part of my work is getting people to begin to focus, learn how to see what is positive, learn how to you know, acknowledge what is really happening here. And I think, you know, way back in the 80s when Oprah Winfrey was supporting Sarah Banbrana's work on gratitude was a huge turnaround for certainly American women and I think in many places in the world because, you know, all the spiritual teachers basically say, the first step is gratitude. If you want to begin to open your heart, open your mind, begin to feel that connection with the source of all that is, that's what you need to do. So uh, before we go into strategies, which I think is really important, and some of the things that you obviously have studied and found to be most effective, can you elaborate from your work what is the impact from from being exposed to negativity. And I think we need to say that the media is filled with negativity, with TV, yep. with newspapers, uh, and, you know, all around us, um, which, you know, we, we live in a media world. You know, you get it on your computer, on your phone, you know, TV, um, whatever paper you may be reading these days, if you're reading papers anymore. <laughs> um, what, in your experience, is the impact on us and on our psyche, on our health, on our perceptions? What is excellent? But yeah, you know, you're the naturopath, so you know what goes on in the body. But and I'm sure you've shared it many times. But it's more than what's going on in the body, because our our whole you know I think of it as a body mind system that we can't separate. The, the mind from the body. We cannot separate our thoughts and feelings from either our personal body or the, the body we are generating around us, our, initi- our immediate environment. Um, one of the, work, you know, the ideas that I work with is, you know, if you want to know what you believe, look at your environment. Look at the people you are attracting. Look at your situation right now. And if you don't think you believe it, well, you're doing something to make it happen. So it's got to be coming from something inside you. So then it's, okay, what are you focusing on, right? You, what you focus on is what the mind-body system generates. And what we tend to focus on is what we were trained as children or what we accepted as children 
to be the the what's real, to be how things are. And those then become either shoulds or ought as God as must as haves, which I call toxic words. <laughs> if I have yes. had a must or I have or I ought or I should, I'm actually causing harm to the body. But the other thing that they become is our buttons. So our adrenaline kicks in, our fears come in, our you know, other emotional reactions to come in when we um, spend, when we allow that kind of negativity to become where our attention is, even if we don't intend for it to be. Um, let's say we've gotten in the habit of leaving the TV or the radio on while we're going about doing other things, and we think we're being very positive, but all of that is what the body-mind is taking in as, oh, this is what's real. Okay, we'll make more of that then. <laughs> and, and to emphasize the importance of being the gatekeeper of the the energies that you are allowing in, is so profound because whether we are conscious or unconscious, just because the TV is on in the background, right? Um, or right. you are just, you know, perusing whatever the headlines are that come in on your newsfeed. Um, it's all having an effect. There is nothing that is not having an effect in how you are taking this information in and affecting us. And it's either going to and empower us or disempower us or compromise us. I mean, that, right. right there, that point is so profound for people to understand. And compromise our immune systems. And that's something that, you know, we don't talk about much in the normal world, that um, our immune systems are a function of not only what we eat, but what we think and what we pay attention to, what we say, what we sing. You know, when I started doing this work, I realized I love to sing, and 90% of the songs that I knew were making me sick, <laughs> you know? Wow, that was awful. <laughs> I had to mm-hmm. learn a whole new body right. of work. I had to, actually, I found a website that has almost entirely uh, healthy uh, you know, songs about the, the truth of our being, not songs about what's wrong with the world, and it's really been great. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, I once interviewed Jonathan Goldman, and Jonathan is, is is like the father of sound therapy and music therapy, and he has mm-hmm. a book about humming. And I first interviewed him, I thought, humming, oh, come on, you know, humming? But, boy, <laughs> when he got into the power of humming and how it opened up and activated centers with us, within us and our heart, you know, that's for anybody, right? You don't need to have a singing voice to hum, and just humming as a frequency is a profoundly healing for us. So, yes, sound and, uh, and, and words all are coming into us and having an impact. Everything is having an impact on us. I mean, this is where we have to learn about the mindfulness path of life, right, how to be mindful and how to choose our responses, which is what we're going to, let's move into that conversation now, Ruth, because you, okay. know, you talk about how to how to live in an environment where you're surrounded by negativity or pessimism by in your work, in your family, in your relationship. What's your strategy to help people in those circumstances? 
It comes down to recognizing that they are not outside of me. Now, I won't say this on every place that I'm talking to, but with you I can talk about this. There is no out there. Everything that I am perceiving, experiencing, is through the filter of my own thought process. Um, in cybernetics, you know, we, we talk about the mental framework and how that acts as a pro, you know, projector, literally. There's a wonderful uh, neurophys- neurophysiologist out there, Robert Hoffman, who talks about that. Um, so what I am perceiving in the world around me, what I am experiencing is a result of those decisions I made or accepted as a child about how the world is. And if I am experiencing negativity in my world, then it's time to let go of the ideas that are leading me to experience it. It's time to let go of the the emotional buttons, if you will, that have led me to continue to choose in the direction of not joy, if you will. So, for example, a you know we all know people who, if they grew up with parents who were addicts, they tend to marry or hang out with addicts, and addicts are really attracted to them. Uh, we know people who grew up in abusive households tend to either be abusive or attract people who are abusive toward them. So a lot of my work is to go back and find that and to use a a methodology that I developed when I was going through an illness um, that is kind of a combination of Course in Miracles and 12 Steps and New Thought Affirmations, and it's just a, a process. And that's what's outlined in Making the World Go Away and a number of other places. But this process then is designed to help us get in touch with what those initial decisions are that are causing us to experience this negativity in our world. And we go through this process, we release it, we replace it, and for a period of time the negativity is gone. Literally, it's not in our speaking and thinking, it's not in the people around us, and it's absolutely wonderful. And then it starts to creep back in again, and we have to do the process again because we've only gotten rid of a large percentage. I like to think of the 80-20 rule. If you do the work, you know, you get rid of 80% each time. But it's really frustrating the third or fourth time I'm going, I thought I'd gotten over this. What is this doing in my life? But then I realize, oh, my goodness, it used to last for years, and now it's lasting for minutes before I recognize it. You know, it used to last for, you know, be incredibly painful and lead to physical problems, and now I'm just getting a little upset. So I realize, my gosh, I've been doing the work, and it's, you know, it's easier and it's easier and it's less and less. So ultimately, we need to erase, release, dissolve, those ideas that tell us that the world is not a safe place, that tell us there are people out there trying to manipulate us, that tell us all those things that the news is telling us today. And what's really interesting, and it has happened to me and it's happened to many people I know, is in those first few hours, days, weeks after we do this process, all of a sudden, we're not hearing any negativity in the world at all. No media, no nothing. 
And I remember one weekend I was doing uh, one of my Emma Curtis Hopkins workshops and I came home. The body is kind of tired at the end of those, but the brain is still kind of excited and open. And, and so I was sitting down and I decided, well, let's see if there's anything that would be stimulating on the TV. And this was some years ago when TV was still in my world. And um, I ended up on ABC News for an afternoon. And during that whole afternoon, I think it was like 2.30 or something to 5-ish, right? Not one negative story. Can you believe it? <laughs> on ABC News. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. It you 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 must have helped to unconsciously design that programming for that day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but you know we do not experience in our world what it, there is no room for in our mind. So, yeah, as I say, in, for you in this audience, I can say that the way to eliminate the negativity out there is to find the source of it in here. And find the way to release it, dissolve it, turn it into nothing, and replace it with truth. And the truth is, you know, this world is an incredible place for all of us. It has everything we all need. Everyone is, you know, is love embodied, and you know, we're trained not to, you know, operate that way or see it that way. But that is what's real. And so when we can be in that place and know that, then the the challenges you know, become those wonderful, oh, look what I can do, instead of, oh, look what I have to put up with. Well, it's a profound shift of energies and frequencies. I, I, um, I, I didn't tell you that I actually am a psychotherapist. And for, um, for for decades, searching the most effective ways to really bring about that change. So it's not from talking. I can tell you that much, right? It's not. No, I think we all there. agree. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I've worked with the breath. I have worked with hypnotherapy. I have worked with um, NLP. I have worked with um, plant medicine. Ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. I have worked with um, uh, frequency uh, technologies that go into the our field and actually change the frequencies in our information field. That, of course, beautiful the physical. Beautiful. I've, you know, there's there's tapping. I'm working with the emotion code, yeah. now, which is another technique for clearing uh, trapped emotions. So. The beauty right now, Ruth, I think, is that we have such profound tools to create, in a sense, shortcuts to bring about the the shift of perception and healing and opening our hearts again so we can operate through this dimension from our hearts that, as never before. As never before, we have, a, we have a smorgasbord of possibilities now. It's absolutely true, and I'm, I'm with you. I'm just so delighted. There are so many ways to release the patterns that no longer serve us. But for me, what I discovered was I really, really, really needed to immediately replace those old patterns with an understanding that was in alignment with universal principles. Um, you know, whether it be religious in the sense of, you know, accepting a particular religious truth 
but or whether it was you know philosophical it didn't matter but you know for me the spiritual reality is it's all love it's all good there is one presence one power one one you know wisdom knowledge intelligence working through all that is and that is a goodness that is working for the benefit of all when i can replace my fear and my belief in um the possibility that someone could possibly want to you know cause harm i you know i can dissolve that but it's going to some version of it's going to tumble back in unless I can fully replace it. The image that I use is if you dig a hole in dry sand, it's all going to fall back in. But if you fill it up with concrete, you know, so the concrete is this these deeper and more truly more accurate reality descriptions. And living from those makes the the experience of the world be entirely different but the other pieces it means we start to create a world for ourselves and the people who resonate with us that is more along those lines and that's huge so here's a here's a a challenging question for you what would you say to people who uh comment who, who say well look i i see so much um deception out in the world, I've seen so much harm going on in the world to others, to the environment. The world is filled with, you know, negative behaviors and, uh, you know, and, and manifestations that are impacting so many people. How, what's your response when people have those kinds of questions? Right. So if it's in a class of mine, I I refer them to Emma Curtis Hopkins' Lessons 2 through (laughs) 6. But um, if it's not in a class, if someone is just in conversation as you are, then what I can say is, look, I know that it seems as if this physical world is what's real. But this physical world is called maya, in the Hindu tradition for a reason, because it's plastic, it's malleable. The only thing that is real is that which is generating this. The quantum field, if you will, spiritual substance is what's real. Now, it will take whatever form our attention gives it. So, yes, our world has been trained. Most of the people in our world have been trained in their growing up in our culture, this empire cultural culture of control, using fear to control. They've been trained to think that's what is. But there are many, many cultures on this planet and millions of people on this planet who don't live that way. And we don't have to live that way. So what would happen if you could set aside the idea that what the news media is telling you is what's real. If you could set aside the idea that what your parents or teachers or whatever told you is what's true and go inside and find that place that is what is true, what would happen if in the terms of the Course in Miracles we choose love instead of we choosing the fear that we've been trained to choose? And then so, what happens, if they act on that, what happens is they begin to see 
in their personal lives, in their relationships, and in the world around them, they begin to see the change. So the most important thing that you are reminding people of is that if you are in a situation, if you are dealing with a chronic illness, if you're dealing with an abusive relationship, if you're dealing with um, challenges at work, if you are just looking out there and seeing the chaos going out in the world, if you want to make the change of your life, it has to begin by making the change inside yourself and at least acknowledging that perhaps your negative thinking is a piece and is contributing to the world that you are finding yourself in. That has to be the starting point for change. And if someone is trying to just manipulate their outside world, try to get someone, you know, kicked out of a job or trying to get the teacher to respond differently or trying to um, just uh, take a, you know, a pharmaceutical drug to heal, you are going to be extremely, what should we say, frustrated. Right, <laughs> or, frustrated. Or, because or it will keep coming right? up. Right. It'll keep coming back again and again. And unfortunately, let you know, even if you've gone through a process to let go of the old thoughts, if you haven't replaced them with a higher understanding, a deeper understanding, a more aligned understanding, if you haven't done the replacing part, it'll all come back again too. It's really important. And you know, in the moment, let's say I'm you know, I'm I've gotten kind of off balance, I'm off center, I'm somewhere and I'm hearing something terrible. My first response is needs to not be go into, oh, how awful, but to go into, wow, what what's really happening here? I want to ask a question because then I'm getting out of that lower brain function and out of the emotional response that will trigger all kinds of stuff in the body, Right. I'm moving into the higher brain functions, the cerebral function, and I'm beginning to explore possibilities which then allow me to get into a state of being in which I can actually see a higher truth and a higher possibility. You know, the Course in Miracles says every interaction is is love expressing love and requesting love. And the way I phrase that is it's saying, I love you, love me please. And that was a really tough one for me to get because I grew up with an abusive parent. And it was, you know, when I went back to each situation in which the body was being um, mistreated, we'll say, I could see all that was happening was the words, you know, not being able to be expressed because of the fear and the upset. You know, I love you, please love me. But someone who is abusing is always um, someone who has been abused. That's that legacy, right? Absolutely. That, uh, right. You know, that the has proudest, been passed on for generations. Exactly. So the proudest moment in my life was knowing that she had been and that her parent had been and that that parent had been, et cetera. My daughters turned 18 and were not. 
when my youngest daughter turned 18 and had never had that experience. That was literally the proudest moment in my life. None of the degrees, none of the publications, none of the honors mattered nearly as much as that. And if you didn't do the work that you've done on yourself, it most likely would not have been possible for her to be different because you became Bingo. You Bingo. yourself, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And and my older daughter has two kids, and I get to visit them periodically, and I'm blown away by how she handles their stuff. You know, she was the first mother I've ever ever known personally to recognize that if a kid is acting out, they're they're struggling. How can she help them deal with their struggle? Wow, <laughs> that was so cool to see. Yeah. Right, and and that is really how we create a new society with people who have those skills and that awareness and have done their own healing process to behave in different ways that uh, are not um, harmful or negative or abusive uh, emotionally, not just physically, but emotionally or mentally to children because we only relate to our children in the ways that we've been taught from our experience. Right, mm-hmm. so we need to heal to find other choices and other options and possibilities of how to support this soul in a little mm-hmm. body mm-hmm. so they can stay connected to love. Exactly. Be loved exactly. Be loved, Beautifully right? done. Yeah, you know, living uh, in love is marvelous. Yeah, when we're in love, the whole world is positive. It doesn't matter what else is going on. And that was such a great teaching. I remember hearing this story once um, when I was just starting in the ministry. A woman was sharing how um, someone that she knew had been living, I think it was in Chicago. She was a traveling business person, and, and she had fallen in love, and she was off on a business trip. And this was before cell phones. This is back with answering machines. And um, so they didn't have much communication while she was on her trip, and she was just so excited. She was so in love, and everybody was being so supportive, and she was glowing, and it was just a beautiful world. And she got home, and she was just so anxious to hear all the messages on her machine. And um, she, you know, went through them, and one of them was this wonderful guy that, you know, they were so in love, and and she was you know, riding high on this love, and the, the voice came, um, I've been thinking, and I think we need to you know, stop seeing each other. And, of course, she was crushed until she realized that that message was three days old, and she had been living in this state of being totally loved and in love with Nobody on the other side. <laughs> you know, Bruce Lipton calls that the honeymoon effect, right? That's what he's it's trying marvelous. to get across. How do we how do we live in that place of being in love without having to necessarily have a, a, a cause external exactly. to us to have You're right. that? Yes. Right, yeah, and to be you know, in love with life. She made up her mind right then and there. She was just going to stay in love. <laughs> So when I sing uh, when I sing the song Blue Skies, you know it you know it says when you're in love. I say when you're living in love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. So, 
So um, you, you talked in the beginning in your uh, book, Uncommon Prayer, that you have found a way to make prayer much more, what, powerful, effective? Um, right. I'm not sure what the right word would be, but more prayerful. It's all of the above. <laughs> um, <laughs> so can you share that with us? Sure. Um, and a lot of this information is on my website, and you know, people can come and play. Uh, at RuthLMillerPhD.com. But um, Uncommon Prayer is kind of a play on words. You know, in the Episcopal Anglican Church, it's the Book of Common Prayer is what they use. And it's a bunch of words, and they're wonderful words, and they say fabulous things. And most of us have been taught to pray saying specific words in a specific way. And most of us get no results when we do that. And so what I wanted to do was help people get that it's not the words and it's not even how you say the words, but that the words and anything else, whether you're chanting, whether you're meditating, whether you're, um, you know, doing walking, you're doing yoga, whatever it is that you are doing that gets you to a state of union with the divine. That's when the prayer happens. When you're in that state where you know that who you are is not separated from the one power and presence that is everywhere always and is making everything happen all of the time, when you are in that place, then the intention must come to pass. So in my when I talk about replacing, what I'm really talking about in the expressing what your issues are, re- releasing your thoughts and beliefs, and then replacing them with the higher truth, what I'm really talking about is that awareness. And if you can get to that place in the process, then when you claim that whatever that issue was no longer exists, you are in that place of power and it must happen so i you know found that people were having a difficult time understanding that so it's a series of steps it explains how these this thing works and that works and it gives people resources in the book uncommon prayer and that's available you know on my website it's available through the publisher portal center press and um and what i've done i i I was surprised when the folks who sent you that information included that book because I thought it was just going to be spiritual success and making the world go away. So there's a a, a radio promo. There's a promo on my website for people to get the two books, uh, Making the World Go Away and Spiritual Success, for a reduced price. It's a discount. Um, And if they will make a note in their order that they want a copy of Uncommon Prayer, I'll give them the same discount on that one as well. Okay, so while you are making that offer to my audience, we should um, give your website again, which is RuthLMillerPhD.com. So if you go to Correct. the website, RuthLMillerPhD.com, there's lots of information to learn. Um, there's that discount on those books and, uh, you know, those are all the resources, kinds of resources 
we need. I want to just go back while we have a few minutes to that um, information you were giving us, that wisdom with uncommon prayer approach, because it, as I'm learning, it's like the secret and you know, your affirmations and understanding the power of your thought is, is critical to set an intention, to have a clear, focused intention. But it has to be accompanied with a strong emotion. I think that's probably what you were also sharing. It's like so it's like setting out that intention, but it has to be held with that strong emotion of gratitude or compassion or love that actually empowers that frequency to return to you with that intention. So do you want to just comment on that before we Sure, sure. So that's that's absolutely true. And if you hold any conflicting belief, if you hold any belief that it can't happen, it will be at best mixed results or you'll get a little of it sometimes and something else other times. So the releasing and replacing process is to get rid of the conflicting beliefs so that you are not continuing to generate in your world that which you are no longer ready to experience. So, yes, you want to get into that place of incredibly powerful, deep knowing with no conflict in order to bring about the intention. The other piece is it's not about the details. It, you know, so you know it's about the quality. Divinity works in qualities. It doesn't care whether there's a particular flower print on something or a particular brand of something, but it does want to give you those qualities. Joyce Brothers has a story about a guy who wanted um, a red sports car. And she said, you know, she pointed out to him in therapy that, wow, there's no reason you don't have it. And he realized there wasn't. So he went and bought it, and he drove around it, and he came back to therapy, and she said, so how is it? He said, I realized it wasn't the car. It was the freedom that the car stood for. Mm -hmm. And so it's the quality that divinity offers us. So when we're in that deep place of intention, and we want to be very clear about it, we want to be clear about the qualities. And whether it's a person or whatever. And if we've got gratitude associated with those qualities, then it's even more, you know, um, icing on the cake as far as the intention goes. You're far more likely to experience it far more quickly. That's so beautiful. You know, you have shared with us um, such wonderful inspiration and guidance and uh, some practical tips there, uh, as well as a fascinating history, Ruth. I mean, your own history, your own journey. You're, you, you're so blessed to have a grandmother that has had that personal experience with Gandhi that has that had to have been such a great spiritual force in your life that has helped to guide Absolutely. you on this journey, right? You know, you're out in the world and, and um, such a healing presence. So, uh, you know, just uh, very grateful to you for that commitment to take on this purpose and this you know, special passion that you have to share in the world. So it's just been an um, absolute delight having you on the show and sharing your, your beautiful heart, your beautiful wisdom. I think everyone has been uplifted. I have from our conversation, which is wonderful because that's what the show is all about, <laughs> is to help <laughs> us be uplifted and remember these important truths 
all the time throughout the day. So I, I just want to thank you for being with us and for spending some time and uh, being a, a light in the world. Well, thank you, Rose. They're wonderfully kind words. I appreciate that. I'm so glad to be able to have this time with you. Thank you, Ruth. And uh, to everyone listening, go and visit Ruth at RuthLMillerPhD.com. Get the discounts on her inspirational books. They will make a difference in your life. And this show, I'm sure, is helping to make a really big difference in your life. And I hope you'll be joining me every week on The Love Code. And until next week, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now. 